Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with Feds or Vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Staying Connected. This is your host, Katie, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you that the views, information, and opinions in these podcasts are those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of the Marfan Foundation. The Marfan Foundation is not responsible for and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in them, nor does the information constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This show is not produced by or affiliated with the Marfan Foundation or the VEDS movement. Okay, now that that's out of the way, I just want to say I am so excited to welcome you to this season of Staying Connected. This season, we're going to talk to seven people about their stories with VEDS and one of the physician researchers in our community about her involvement and what the VEDS community means to her. New episodes will be released every other Saturday until December 18th, when the final episode of this season will air. To kick off this season, we're going to talk to Mike DeCourcy, who lives in Dallas, Texas. He and his son were diagnosed with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome in 2016. Before we go to the interview, I just want to thank you, Mike, for sharing your story with VEDS on the podcast and for everything you're doing to raise awareness for VEDS. So keep up the good work. I can't wait to see what you do in the future. And let's go ahead and go to the interview. Hey, Mike, I'm really excited to have you here to share your story with us today. And I would love it if you would introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. My name is Mike DeCourcy. Uh, I'm 42 years old and I live here in Dallas, Texas. And when were you diagnosed with VETS? Yeah, so I was diagnosed about five years ago in 2016. I was 37 years old at the time. And the reason uh, we found out about this uh, was mainly because of our first child, my son, who was maybe a few months at the time and had some some issues as, as a baby. He uh, had trouble swallowing and we needed to put him on a feeding tube and just had a lot of issues. He kind of has hypotonia, which is low tone. A lot of issues that, you know, now in hindsight um, may not even be directly correlated to vascular EDS, but it ultimately caused us to get genetic testing. Um, and this is where vascular EDS came up. And then, uh, of course, they wanted to test Alex's parents. So I got tested, found out I had it. And our geneticist kind of light bulbs went off in her head, uh, knowing my family history and how my father had passed away of an aortic dissection when he was 49 uh, in 1986. So kind of it all came together uh, for us in 2016. So how did that feel getting both the diagnosis for your son and for yourself? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a lot to take in um, at the time. And we, my wife at the time was pregnant with our second, um, and she was just weeks away from having our daughter, Isla. And so we found out about all this and, the, you know, on top of the potential that Isla could have had it as well. And plus the fact that I've, I had gone 30 plus years and doctors had always kind of told me, you know, look, it was very unfortunate how your father passed, but you know, from what we can tell, it's not hereditary. It's, you know, and then to have it be um, correlated was kind of a big shock. Um, So I still remember this day is actually my, 
my wife was given the information even before I was, and she was the one to kind of deliver the news to me. And um, yeah, it was just hard to really absorb. And then within a week or two, I was kind of getting those full body scans that, that everyone, you know, knows about. And then, and then fast forward there and we actually found out that I had some aneurysms developing um, in my iliac artery. So it was a whirlwind to say the least. And then, yeah, like you said, uh, to just kind of have to deal with our son as well. And that whole aspect was a lot to take in, but at the same time, over the last five years, we've really realized how much knowing about this is advantageous and how powerful it can be, but it's scary to accept it and have to move on and live your life. Yeah, that's, it's a super scary thing. And I remember that whirlwind of emotions myself when I got my diagnosis, it was just, there, there's, it was so hard to process. There was just so much to sure. process. And I can't imagine processing that while also processing the diagnosis of my child and expecting another one on the way. So I, I can imagine or can't really imagine because <laughs> I yeah. don't have children, you know, but um, I, I really, that had to be hard. And we, uh, you know, we ended up testing Isla. I mean, she was probably hours old. Um, and, and the doctors did a blood test and sent it away. And within a few days we found out she actually, uh, didn't have it. So there was some relief there, but even by that time we were still processing what the heck this even was and learning about, you know, vascular EDS, we were still very new to everything. Yeah. And then, so then a few weeks after your diagnosis, you got your first scan and then found out you had some aneurysms in your iliac artery. Yeah, exactly. Both in my right and left, you know, fortunately at the time it, they weren't large enough to, um, do anything about it. So it was kind of the uh, maintenance monitoring Mm -hmm. game from that point forward. Um, but in the beginning they kind of did every six months and within a couple of years of doing that, you know, they, they looked stable. So they were, you know, I was always curious to know, like, all right, when did they start developing or how did they develop? And of course you're not given those answers and you kind of have to just forgive and forget um, that you're not going to get those answers. But um, yeah, for the last four or five years, I was getting my scans and they were, they were barely growing. So everything looks stable at least uh, from that standpoint. And so I noticed that you're, you're talking about these in the past tense. So what happened with those? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure why I'm doing that exactly. Well, you know, fast forward to January of this year and, um, I, you know, I, I don't know the phrasing people usually, I, I've been using the word event a lot. Um, but I had my first true event or symptomatic events, um, associated with vascular EDS where out of the blue, um, one morning, I, uh, yeah, I just felt a kind of sharp, weird, unique pain, um, in my kind of upper groin thigh area. Um, and I was literally, it was probably just, um, you know, 10 feet behind me from where I'm sitting, talking to you right now, literally just trying to pick out what shirt I was going to wear that morning. And so I wasn't doing anything strenuous, nothing physical, literally just standing there. And it just kind of hit me out of nowhere. And it wasn't, it was painful, but it wasn't like the worst pain I had in the world. But what really kind of alarmed me within minutes of feeling that, that pain was, um, I felt numbness kind of just 
um, circulating throughout my entire leg, all the way down to my foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so within a couple minutes, and luckily, you know, we have a great relationship with our doctors and I had been able to get in touch with him with within five minutes. And he said to go to the ER right away. I probably would have gone anyway. And this just goes back to uh, how, how helpful it is knowing I have this because I, I, I sometimes go there, right, to think that many people in my position have that incident without the serendipitous nature of having a genetic condition five years ago to inform you that you have this condition. And sometimes they find out they have this condition with the event and how scary that could be. I mean, it's scary no matter what, but I think knowing I had it, and especially I have to thank my wife for always taking this very seriously and having, you know, a bag packed and like a protocol and our team ready and like just having all those, you know, eyes dotted and T's crossed. Um, we were off to the hospital within, within minutes and it made all the difference because what was going on physically was essentially I had a, like a three and a half inch dissection of my iliac artery leading down to my femoral artery. Um, so it was essentially mimicking at least what they told me. I'm obviously not a doctor, but what they told me uh, was that it was, it kind of emulated a, a blood clot to some extent and the blood wasn't getting down to the rest of the leg. And by the time I got to the hospital, they were getting no pulses in the foot, um, very low pulses in the rest of the leg. And, um, you know, they had, they had to uh, bring me in for surgery right away. And how did that go? Did that all go smoothly? It did. Um, you know, it was a, a whirlwind experience, but luckily, uh, they did exactly what they needed to do. Um, three, three stents later. The funny thing is it really didn't even stem from the original aneurysm that was developing on my right side. So while they were in there anyway, um, they ended up putting a stent in that aneurysm since they were on the right side and then two more to kind of, um, correct basically the, the, the tunnel, so to speak, that had the dissection leading down to my femoral artery. So I, the surgery, I mean, bet- I have a care team out of Houston and I'm in Dallas and they coordinated great together. Um, there was some talk of me being brought out to Houston for the surgery, but it was time was of the essence, um, you know, because they started talking about you know, within hours, I could have started losing the possibility of my foot or my leg without the the circulation and blood flow, wow. uh, which is just so surreal to even hear myself talking about. Uh, because again, I take myself back to that morning, and within minutes before it happening, I remember I was like playing with my four year old daughter, and we were having so much fun, and I felt fine, I was feeling good physically, and then and then boom, this happens. It's it's scary how out of nowhere it can be. Yeah. So how did you, how did you kind of cope with that, uh, that surrealness coming out of that situation and now coming into life, but having lived through that, like, what did that feel like? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it is like, it was life-changing for me. Um, it, it just kind of reframed, kind of my whole perspective on life, honestly, mostly for the better, which is, which is the positive out of it. But I I mean, I remember joking with people within the first few weeks of, of getting out of the hospital um, because I physically, 
and, and even still to this day, I'm, I'm now five, five plus months from surgery. And so, um, you know, my recovery has physically has been in the last couple of months, I've made a lot of great strides, but ironically, the, the recovery has been mostly due to just the fact that my blood wasn't getting that blood flow and circulation. So, um, we, we think at this point there was some muscle and, and nerve damage done, not really associated with VEDS, just from the fact of having the lack of blood flow um, in parts of my leg. Doctors are, are optimistic that maybe it's not um, complete long-term, but we're still kind of assessing that. And they said it could take six to 12 months to feel um, completely normal again. But I, I've I'm optimistic based on the last couple months, like, cause the first few months I was still limping and going through it. And that the reason I'm harping on the whole physical aspect was as challenging as that was, it was really the mental recovery that was, or is still, it's not like it's over, but that mental recovery is the harder part coming out of something like that. And I feel like I did a pretty decent job turning to a lot of the support. Like I, I, I started going to the uh, vet support group right after that. And in hindsight, I, I wish I had gone earlier, but um, I'm glad I took advantage of it when I did. And just to kind of be around people that really knew or, or went through a lot of similar things that, that I had just gone through mm-hmm. really helped me, you know, feel like I was not alone during that time, but the mental recovery is an ongoing process. And one that's, you're never really kind of done with, um, you're kind of always working on with VEDS. Yeah, I agree. It's never, a, even with just, just the diagnosis itself, like that feeling never fully goes away. It's just this, it just becomes a little different or you deal with it a little bit differently. Exactly. So now you're doing something else this year too, for like getting back into activity and things and raising awareness. I think coming off of that would be a great time for you to talk about that. Yeah. And it's, it's what I alluded to before about, you know, kind of reframing and and reshaping my whole perspective and really, you know, not just the fact that I have it again, something my son has and is going to have to, you know, live his life with. I really, obviously for many reasons, um, not just vets itself, but of course I want to be a role model for him. But also for others in this community, I feel like I can bring a lot to the table to people who need it and use this opportunity. My, my whole mantra in this recovery has been crisis equals opportunity and, and really figuring out how I can take this negative and, and turn it into a positive and really make an impact, help make an impact in, in this community. And so I kind of decided to embark on this whole you know, journey where I was going to make it somewhat physically related. But of course, ultimately, what I wanted to do was raise funds and awareness for vascular EDS. So I've created a website and this whole mission, it's called Walk with Deco. Deco is my nickname. And, uh, you know, I obviously didn't want to do anything too strenuous, like coming out of a, you know, recovery and things like that. So I'm trying to walk uh, 4 million steps to raise $40,000 for vascular EDS by the, by the end of the year. And I've, I'm about one month into it and and things are going great. And it's just amazing to see the, the outpouring of support behind the mission. And um, it's just, it just feels good to be able to play a small role in, in the efforts and community to, 
to bring a lot of awareness to vascular ADS, which is, and, and obviously have a lot of those funds directed towards research, which is um, needed in so many ways. Yeah. So where do people find more information about that? Yeah. So I created a website, walkwithdeco.com, and you can find all the information there. I've also decided to, you know, keep people engaged in my journey. Um, I decided to also do a podcast along with it. So you can find the Walk With Deco podcast on Apple and and other streaming um, podcast platforms. It's been an interesting ride because what I'm doing is I'm actually doing the podcast while I'm out on my walks and and getting (laughs) my steps in to just kind of bring people in on that journey a little bit. And, And honestly, the topics I talk about are kind of whatever whatever's kind of hitting me that day and what's inspiring me and um, what's on my mind. And, and, and a lot of it is all through the lens of, of Vastry ADS. And definitely in my first few episodes, I talk a lot about that, but I also go into other topics that, that in some way are closely related to VEDS, but, but not really just kind of everyday life struggles that we all go through. Oh, that's awesome. I love that you do this while you're out on your walk too. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's provided for some some interesting audio challenges, but <laughs> uh, you know, I like I keep joking that hopefully it's all about the appeal and experience. But it's if you're expecting like a really great audio experience without any background noise, then maybe this podcast isn't for you. But uh, but you know, you get birds chirping, you get cars flying by, planes flying overhead, you know, it shows that I'm out I'm outside and getting my steps in. Yeah, that sounds really nice. So thank you for sharing that information. I sure. do want to go back to um, your diagnosis and any outward features that you have that maybe you were missed when you were a kid. Do you have any or did you have any? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, n- nothing that I can specifically, I mean, I, I, I sometimes see other people in the vets community and I can see maybe some facial features, whether it be the nose or like they say, I think it's thin lips or it, I wouldn't say anything because we, not to get too, of course, medical, but we have the null mutation, which, you know, we were always told that like is one of the most I guess, benign types, but at the same time saying that, you know, based on what my, what happened to my father and, you know, the fact that I had an event in my early forties, it obviously doesn't mean, uh, you know, we're immune to uh, events happening. Having said that, you know, what I, what I failed to mention earlier is when I found out about the diagnosis, we, you know, my wife did a great job of really kind of uncovering some other people in our family tree where, they they either must have had it, they died pretty early from a kind of unexplained event, or even, you know, my two sisters found out, older sisters um, have it, mm-hmm. but have never had an event, have gotten scans and don't have any, um, any aneurysms developing or anything like that. So we're thankful for that, of course. But, you know, the other thing growing up, if I had to scrutinize and nitpick is definitely the easy bruising I probably had growing up. Mm-hmm you know, not knowing it's always been a blessing and a curse. Like I look back on my childhood and, you know, in some ways I'm thankful that I I didn't know about this diagnosis because I lived a carefree childhood and played sports and roughhoused like the best of them. Um, you know, but I, but then again, you know, maybe what I'm hopeful for my son, obviously, in the early intervention, you know, with medications, and he's on a beta blocker, just like I am, 
um, early scans. You know, we actually just last week, he got his, he's six years old now and he got his, um, second set of scans and they all, they all went great, but it's a stressful experience yeah. for mom and dad to, especially as they're that young, they, they get put under for the scans cause it could take a couple hours to do everything. And so, yeah, you know, and even my son, like he maybe has a little bit of that, um, easy, you know, bruising, but mm-hmm. nothing too obvious, honestly, in a, in our family history that we can really pinpoint to. Yeah. And that's important too, because there's so many people out there who I meet that don't have very many outward signs at all. It's either usually those people that I talk to, it's the easy bruising and the sleeping with the eyes open. Sometimes a lot of people do that too, but there are people out there who don't have any signs at all, really. And they still have it. And it's important to recognize. Yeah, we have, we have a little bit of the sleeping with the eyes open just slightly. Yeah. And again, how often is that going to come up? Like who's, who's analyzing your, 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 your face when you're sleeping growing up? <laughs> yeah, really just your parents <laughs> right? <laughs> or your friends. I remember when I was a kid, you know, my friends like, you're not, you're not really sleeping right now. We know you're faking it because you sleep with your eyes kind of open and they're closed right now. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely good to share because there's so many people out there who just don't have anything. Right. For sure. So if there was a piece of advice, you're a few years into your diagnosis now that you would give somebody who's newly diagnosed or just kind of like grappling with thinking they have it or, you know, they're just struggling. What would you, what piece of advice would that be? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I've, I've been lucky. I've had the support of my wife who's been just tremendous throughout all this and been so super organized with, you know, really getting the care team together. That's, that's one thing I would, I would certainly recommend, but at the same time, you know, I, I would hate to overwhelm someone and say like on day one, you know, you have to like get all these, you know, things in, in line because it can be kind of overwhelming to just take in. But once, once you kind of digest it a little bit, I, I do, now harp on the fact that don't be afraid to know that you have this knowing this is such a leg up in terms of of getting the care you need if something were to happen and and having your care team in place there's there's a level of anxiety that is accounted for and kind of you know even even heading to the hospital when i had my events just knowing all those pieces were in place was so like reassuring as scary as it still was so I think, you know, just getting that care team in place and, and, and just going out for support. I mean, I know there are a lot of great support groups out there, but knowing the right ones to go to, you know, I definitely recommend against, you know, playing Google doctor and, and, and just like, you know, searching things with vascular EDS, because it can lead you down to paths that, you know, maybe is not exactly tied to your situation or, you know, look, it is scary. There, there's no sugarcoating that, but I think, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to throw stones. I've done it too before, uh, in terms of like Googling things and then in the beginning and, and it, it didn't lead anywhere good. So you really have to scrutinize the sources you go to, um, whether it be medical journals or articles or, um, or just the support groups themselves. 
but don't be afraid to reach out for the support. I mean, it is a rare condition. And so whenever you can feel not alone and, and, and really kind of commiserate with people, you know, I like going to it because there's some weeks where I feel ready to support others. And there's some weeks where I feel like I need the support and, um, and it's great to know you can kind of play both of those roles, but yeah, I, I guess I would just, the one thing I would harp on is, is try to, you know, coach someone through the fact that it's, it's a blessing that you have knowledge of this as tough as it is to live with that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, it can, it can lead to events where you can take care of it and be okay. So that would be the one thing I would, I would kind of harp on. Yeah. And you know, what you said just triggered something for me too. this idea, like that knowing about it can really help you when you're having an event. So if there's something, I know that this is, this is something that really comes up a lot for emergency situations with beds. And so not particularly for emergency professionals, but any medical professional, if there was a medical professional listening to this podcast, what would you tell them about what it's like living with beds or what would you want them to know? Yeah, there, there's a couple of things that, that come right to mind. Um, you know, what I feel like medical professionals need to know is that sometimes we come in with life-threatening situations that are not outwardly obvious. It could be we look, we are young and look healthy and are not taken as seriously or don't, or aren't bleeding or, or some like, you know, physical thing. Like even in my case, it was so serious, but I, like I said before, it wasn't even the worst pain I had, but knowing I had beds and knowing I, it, it's a struggle, right? Because my wife and I know it's always going to be a, kind of a, for lack of a better word, a fight kind of getting through the emergency room. Mm-hmm. But again, that like making those relationships with your care team and, and maybe even doing a dry run or, or knowing what obviously hospital you're going to go with and, and, um, introducing yourself to the ER staff. Like there are all those things that you can do not to just put your mind at ease, but also to prep, you know, any potential, um, emergency staff that might need to know about that because that, that paid huge dividends for me knowing exactly where we were going in in that event, knowing exactly what doctor was going to operate on me, you know, and, and fortunately, you know, I know it can be scary because unfortunately it could happen anywhere where you might not have that access, but, you know, luckily for me, it happened at home and, and we just kicked our, you know, plan into place. So I, I think that's the one thing medical professionals just need to know about and learn is that, uh, is to be taken seriously so that you can get your scans right away and they can confirm, um, or not, whether there's something serious going on. You know, the other thing with, medical professionals that I'd personally love for them to know about. And, and I've alluded to it earlier on in the, in the conversation. Um, you get your diagnosis and, and some geneticists and things are, are pretty good about this, but it's certainly not across the board is that, you know, again, it, be, it becomes about learning about the physical component of this uh, condition Mm-hmm. But I feel like the whole mental aspect of where you go from there and how you deal with that, I don't feel like those are openly encouraged or readily available for people who really need that, especially in the weeks or months leading after a diagnosis. So I, I would certainly love to see progress in, in some ways where the, the doctors kind of align better with the medical, uh, with, the, with the mental 
side of, uh, of, of medicine to really attack this um, diagnosis in both ways, not just the physical, like you have to get your scans. We have to like, all that's great, but the patient themselves are not really being cared for from a mental perspective and how to deal with a rare condition that, especially this, um, where things can happen out of nowhere and, and you need to be ready for it. So those, those are some things that come to mind when I, I would like medical professionals to know about. Yeah. And I think that you've touched on this a couple of times, that mental health aspect and, you know, caring for your mental health, but also connecting with others and those support groups and how helpful that could be too. And I just love that you're giving that advice to medical professionals too, because it is, I've talked to so many people who get their diagnosis and they're told, oh, go, go home and prepare your will. And, you know, and that's, it's all the support that they get, you know, and that's, that's not enough. And that does a lot to your brain. It's just a lot to go through this, this diagnosis is a lot to go through. And if you're on the other end of this podcast and you're listening to it and you're struggling, there are resources out here to help you. And I'll put a link to them in the description of this episode in That's the show awesome. notes, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause, uh, I, I've heard, I've been on support groups. I've said it. I've said the words myself. I'm sure many have. My whole thing has always been saying, like, sometimes I feel like a ticking time bombs like inside me. And some people have said like, you know, it's like a, they feel like a sniper. They're just waiting for the next shooter drop or like, you know, you could have indigestion or something, a cramp. And like, was that something? Was that like, you're, you're kind of always overanalyzing just the littlest, most subtlest things of everyday life that could weigh on anyone. Mm -hmm. And so how to deal with that, how to process those things and, and learn to live with it. Um, it's, it's not easy to do. So, so yeah, I mean, having those resources available on how to work through those things are so important to someone right after diagnosis. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with me and with other people. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening in today and a huge thanks again to Mike for sharing his story on the podcast. I hope you all enjoy this show and I hope you find it informative or helpful. This podcast and all of you are so close to my heart and it would mean so much to me if you shared the show far and wide to help us raise awareness of vets together. Thank you so much. Be sure to subscribe to the show and stay tuned for the next episode on September 25th. We will be talking to Lindell Frazier in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much again, and I will see you soon.